0: Reform this on demand. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the place where you begin that journey against what I believe is the greatest threat to mankind in the 21st century, which is the ideology of political Islam, the sense that the Islamists of Iran, of Saudi Arabia, of Egypt, and the Muslim Brotherhood, of the Pakistani Islamic Republic, on and on across the world, the ideology is going to spread unless Muslims, unless the West begins to take sides within the House of Islam. And this is your ability here, I think, your opportunity to begin to hear the thoughts and the contemplations of an American Muslim who is a patriot first, and who rejects political Islam. And every week, you and I together broach and begin to bridge that divide between the Islamists and Western freedom. Before we dive into what I wanted to talk to you about this week, it is beyond essential. I think it's one of my favorite holidays, probably second only to July 4th, that we remember year to year, is this weekend of Thanksgiving. And in this weekend of Thanksgiving, each one of us has just countless blessings that we have. Not only, obviously, everything comes from God, but this country under God reminds us of the things that we come together to enjoy. And there's something uniquely American about Thanksgiving, not only in its history and its roots, and that turkey that is a uniquely American bird, uh, but also in the spirit of Thanksgiving that we as a country step back to thank God, to thank our blessings, to thank who we are for the blessings of living in this country together, that despite the division, despite the rancor, despite all of the stressors of day-to-day work, of the economy, of national security and of politics, we can still come together as a united country, as a free republic, and remember the most important things that bring us together, which are freedom and liberty. So I am thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my wife and children. I'm thankful for this country that gives us the opportunity to have dreams, to be what we want, To succeed, And I know those dreams aren't met for everyone in this country. I know that there are many whose dreams are cut short for things that can often be preventable. But I think in a time in which we are being thankful, remember that we have the ability to wake up, to participate, to begin to hold our leaders accountable. That we are blessed to have a system that despite all its warts, despite all of its challenges gives us access, gives us the opportunity to use communication media through social media, through Twitter, Facebook, traditional legacy media, newspapers, and on, to engage society, to engage the public on the things that are important to us. Yes, it's been attempted to be hijacked, whether it be from social media corporations who are snuffing out the voices of conservatives, often more than the left, Or be it from foreign entities, from Russia to Iran and others who are trying to manipulate free thinking. But, at the end of the day, we are still, I believe, the luckiest people on this earth. I have family that, some of whom did not survive, many of whom have now declared that the revolution against the genocidal regime of Assad has failed. And... You look, you have a country that originally was 21 million people. Now 10 million are displaced, some internally, and millions have left the country. You've seen an evacuation of almost half of the population outside the country, and you're left with now clearly an ethnic cleansing, clearly a depopulation to shift the demographics of a country that was 20% minority with 60% Sunni and the rest, an amalgamation of diverse different faiths and cultures and ethnicities, that this Arab country of Syria now is left with a more solidified dictatorship that used chemical weapons, that used the militant Ba'athist fascist rule to continue to destroy its own people. And the revolution's lost. Now, were there elements of the revolution that were evil? Yeah, ISIS and Jabhat Nostra and other radical Islamists, but they didn't start with that. The revolution did not start with that radicalization. It was radicalized over time. But I'm reminded as we communicate with our family that tells us that they've now tried to go on with their lives and the hell, the the. Uh, the abyss that has become the Syrian existence, I'm reminded how blessed I am that my parents decided to leave Syria in 66 and come to the United States. I'm reminded how blessed I am to be able to raise my kids in the United States. That despite all the challenges that we have, we are still the luckiest people on earth. And, as Abraham Lincoln said, we are the world's last best hope of mankind but what does that mean? What does that mean? Every week we talk about that. There's debate about the role of America. What is role? What is America's role in the world? And we'll continue to have that debate. The Wall Street Journal had a piece this weekend about conservatism and its confrontation with the Saudis. That we can do both, that we can be allies and we can confront them on their ideologies that are inconsistent. It doesn't have to be a zero-sum game. It doesn't have to be an all-or-none basis. But this is a debate that we're going to have. And you and I have talked about the Saudis before. I've talked a couple episodes about Khashoggi, Jamal Khashoggi, and his assassination and what it may mean to the future of the American-Saudi relationship. This week, though, let's move on to talk about—yes, we've talked about this, uh, I think, many months ago— but female genital mutilation, why does this apply to the United States? Why did we even care? There was a federal case that was the first of its kind. And there was a big change that happened this week in that case, and we're going to talk about it when I come back. This is Udi Jastron, Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasper. welcome back to reform this on the blaze on the Blaze Radio network. Um, we're talking about follow-up on the issue of FGM and especially I wanted to discuss with you a ruling that came out this week by a federal judge, Judge Friedman, in respect to the first of its kind federal case that had indicted two physicians, most notably Jamala Nagarwala for committing acts against nine children that they were able to prove, but there were odds are tens if not hundreds of children that were victims that were involved in her procedures of female genital mutilation. I've discussed with you this procedure before. While she belonged to the Dawoodi Bura heterodox sect that is an offshoot of the Shia community, and while many of the Islamists, like the Council on American-Islamic Relations, tried to Minimize their involvement in saying, oh, this is just the behavior and the actions of a uh, small um, sect. The reality is that the, the, the crime, the, the horrific barbaric crime of FGM is defined by the World Health Organization as having five different types from a severe mutilation that includes uh, complete Uh, obstruction and removal of the clitoris and obstruction of the vaginal canal to a, a what is called a minor type, but I believe is still mutilation that involves a nick on the clitoral head. But the bottom line is, is the intent of the procedure. For those of you who have not heard me talk about this before, you should understand that the procedure is done because religiously as the not- Shia offshoot sect, but the Sunni Imam Al-Sayyid in Northern Virginia was cited by memory to have a video in which he talked, in a sermon in which he said that this procedure is necessary because women are born hypersexual, because they need their clitoral stimulation decreased, they need the size reduced, otherwise they will be uncontrolled and unmanageable by the Neanderthals of men that these people, these types advocate for. And they're Islamists, they're Salafis who believe in a subjugation of women and they use FGM as a method in which to culturally reduce their influence, let alone their equality. And this needs to be fought at all levels. And the procedures of FGM are fought in the United States as one of the, as one of the bulwarks against the islamist culture the islamist culture that believes that women are not equal that believes that ultimately women's rights don't come from god but come from their husbands their brothers their fathers that's where honor killings that's where the honor culture or the dishonor culture as westernized muslims and human beings would call that but at the end of the day if you don't if you don't know what fgm is get educated learn about it because while there have been five thousand to 10,000 in the United States done there are half there are millions of victims globally it is a horrific number in Africa and in India and in Middle East that are subjugated and victimized by this it took until 2009 until the OIC the organization of Islamic Cooperation made a statement against FGM and condemned it and we can get into the theology of it I've I've done that before, but this case, I think, is important because in 1996, a bipartisan Senate and House voted to create a federal law that outlawed FGM. Senator Reid, Harry Reid, even had statements saying that this practice shall end and it will no longer be allowed on American soil. Fast forward, there have never been a case in which this has been tried in a federal court system. And now in the past few years, thanks to the work of so many women's rights activists from Sohoyo to uh, AHA, the Ayaan Ali Foundation, to uh, Shireen Kadosi's work uh, uh, with Clarion and so many others, there have been so many advocates against FGM and for women's rights that have begun to act, We've now seen it outlawed in over 25 states that have state laws against FGM. But the bottom line is, is what about this case? In this case, we saw physicians working underground in their religious sect that brought young girls from Minneapolis, from Minnesota, trafficked them into Michigan. In the dark of night, after clinic hours, they had procedures committed on them. We committed... Unknown amounts of federal FBI resources to obtain footage to uh, 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 document their subversion of open medical practice and doing it underground because they knew it was illegal. They knew it was a crime against humanity, and yet they were doing it to these girls whose parents often facilitated it and violated God knows how many crimes, how many laws and crimes were committed, and yet they brought them to trial, they indicted them, and now the trial is not going to go forward. Why? What happened this week? And I've talked to you about this. We released a press release from the American Islamic Forum for Democracy talking about how important this case was. Not only was it important to indict the doctors and then bring them to trial and convict them, the doctors that committed the procedure, but the clinics that facilitated it, the physician that owned the clinic that was also indicted, the uh, 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 parents possibly that facilitated the abuse against their children cross state lines. When you're dealing cross state lines, who else but the federal government can do this? Who else but the federal government can investigate it? And yet this week, Judge Friedman said, as despicable as this practice may be, It is essentially a criminal assault, Judge Friedman wrote in his, I think, nine-plus page opinion. And why submit an opinion now? He decided to subvert the move forward in a claim because he felt that it was beyond the jurisdiction of the federal government. He felt that the federal law passed in 1996 by Harry Reid and others was unconstitutional. He said FGM is not a part of a larger market and it has no demonstrated effect on interstate commerce since the federal law invokes the Commerce Clause. The Commerce Clause does not permit Congress to regulate a crime of this nature. Friedman explained, according to Clarion Project, that the FGM does not fit into the necessary and proper clause of the Commerce Clause. He said that clause permits Congress to regulate activity that is commercial and economic in nature, and that substantially affects interstate commerce either directly or as a part of an interstate market that has such an effect. The government has not shown that either prong is met. Friedman said that the power to ban FGM falls under the purview of individual states. FGM is a local criminal activity which, in keeping with longstanding tradition and our federal system of government, is for the states to regulate, not Congress. And so far, 27 states have done that. Even Michigan has made it illegal, but this was before the crime. The the crimes against these girls was committed before Michigan made it illegal. So it could not be pressed on that. Not to mention that the investigating agency in this case was the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Now, her attorneys have called this a victory. And they even invoked the name of God saying, Oh my God, this is amazing. We have won crime for the FGM Mafia, the attorney for the FGM Mafia said. Now, Nagarwal still uh, faces two lesser charges. She's pled not guilty conspiracy to travel with the intent to engage in illicit sexual conduct and obstruction, and others in the case also face obstruction charges. So, you know, I think... As you look at this crime, we need to have a conversation. This judge who is a Reagan appointee, mind you, is bringing a, what I would describe as a puritanical approach. Puritanical approach to female genital mutilation, which is puritanical as far as whose jurisdiction this is. Are you telling me that there's no way that this judge could have given instructions that would signal that future cases may be difficult to adjudicate without sending the message that the federal government could now become a sanctuary for criminals who intend to practice FGM? Are they now sending a signal that FGM is going to be protected by the federal government because it doesn't fall in the Commerce Clause? Terrorism doesn't fall in the Commerce Clause, yet that falls under national security. There are laws about that. Why doesn't that fall in the Commerce Clause? Why? Because it's national security? I guess so. But at the end of the day, if we're talking about a Bill of Rights and civil rights and and all the other areas that you can invoke that the feds protect our rights— Are you telling me that the rights of young girls, seven to nine, cannot be protected because states don't pass those laws and yet the Constitution exists? Part of my work in fighting political Islam is that I have sworn allegiance to the U.S. Constitution and its Bill of Rights. I have sworn allegiance to this republic which trumps any other legal system, especially a theocratic one based in Sharia. So now, basically, is this, and if you look at his history, it appears that this is more of a libertarian judge, which is not a surprise. I'm very much for state rights. I'm very much a federalist when it comes to legal application, but that federalism cannot become a suicide pack against the invocation and the protection of human rights of individuals by the government. I, I think it's very much in keeping with conservatism to expect that the rights of children, I mean, when you talk about the pro-life community, they will tell you conservatives, libertarians, that to protect the child, it is the federal government's role to do that. Now they want the state rights, etc. On the whole Roe versus Wade uh, debate, then ensues, and this may end up needing a Supreme Court ruling. I hope on this one regarding FGM. But I do believe at the end of the day, if our Constitution talks about the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, and the equality of all all people protected by the Constitution, that parents and a religious system that seeks to usurp that freedom, that seeks to usurp that freedom, is unconstitutional, it's inhuman, and it's un-American. And I won't, I haven't looked at the details of the legislation from 1996 that the judge is saying is unconstitutional. But have your conversations with your friends, your lawyers, your politicians. And I hope the federal government now re continues to take this up the flagpole to the Supreme Court because. There are aspects to the U.S. Constitution. I get it. Laws against murder, laws against rape are, are are pretty much local criminal laws that are part of the Fed's books. But when the federal government decided to pass a law in 1996, they decided that because of the early nature and the heinous nature of this crime, but I say early because it had not been aware in some states, that there may be a greater good to having the federal government pass laws that prevent the torture of young girls under the legal protection of the United States. Isn't that a greater good? I don't believe that the Founding Fathers and their intent of federalism and the rights of the states meant to allow sanctuary in various states that did not have updated laws to cover all of the heinous laws that could happen under the guise of religious freedom. You'll remember that you and I talked about what I felt was the erroneous position of Alan Dershowitz on this. Dershowitz had said that he believed that a form of nicking could be a compromise on this under the guise of religious freedom. And I had a debate with him, and Ian Hirsi Ali moderated it in New York. And at the end of the debate, he said, you know, I've changed my position. He said he was no longer consulting for the plaintiffs in For the defense in this case, and that he now understood that the intent of it is very different than male circumcision, that you could look upon male circumcision as a form of mutilation, but at the end of the day, the intent is not desexualizing, the intent is not to oppress and relegate women to third, fourth class status as they do in a tribal way in which this procedure is done. And the harm is far, far greater to women for even a nick than it would be considered to men in male circumcision. So the harm to religious freedom is far less than it would be to the individuality and the freedom of these young girls who are subjugated by this procedure and subjugated by their families, by their imams and their clerics, to undergo FGM. When we come back, we'll finish the conversation. Where does this case go next, and what can we do in the United States to fight the battle against political Islam and horrors like FGM? This is Dr. Zudi Jaisar. Welcome back to Reform This. We're talking about federalism, federal jurisdiction, and enforcing and protecting the United States against the influence of Islamists, against the influence of misogynists that commit acts that the judge admitted in this case is horrific and— in fact, should be outlawed, but he did not feel that it was within the jurisdiction of the federal government to pass laws as they did in 1996 against FGM. What's the message of this? That FGM, female genital mutilation, a procedure done to remove the clitorises or, or minimize the clitorises of young girls that results in scarring and psychological harm, in addition to the physical harm, severe psychological and mental abuse, and desexualization is the intent of the procedure? Are we saying that the federal government has no role in protecting young girls from families, from networks, from underground trafficking that's done between states, as the FBI heroes in this case followed this in order to convict these physicians for the crimes that they did? I have to tell you, as a doctor, I'm horrified that these two people that were arrested and are, have committed these crimes are trying to get by by saying that they did no harm to the girls. I'm horrified that they're still called doctors, they're still licensed. I'm horrified that the attorney in this case, upon the judge making some kind of puritanical libertarian argument on federalism, which I, by the way, as many of you know, I'm a conservative who believes in state rights, believes in you know, uh, decentralizing the influence and control of the federal government, but I also understand the priorities when it comes to fighting battles to protect our national security from threats and also to protect individuals. That at the end of the day, when my mom went to vote, when when I go to participate in certain activities that are protected by the U.S. Constitution, that federal system. There's a reason when I went to fight for this country, I didn't fight for my state constitution. I fought for my federal constitution. I fought for my identity as an American, not as my identity as a Wisconsinian, the state I was from. We have to have a conversation that if we are going to defeat ideas, there's a a movement called American Laws for American Courts, A-L-A-C, and in many of those states, we supported, our Muslim reform women supported, the restriction against the imposition of foreign law into the American legal system. We supported their laws in Michigan, their laws in Florida, to prevent foreign legal interventions and precedents over domestic law. And yes, that should be done on a state-to-state level. But if the state law is not adequate... And you see something as egregious as physicians who have some federal accountability if they're obtaining federal payments from Medicare or national insurance companies, if they are practicing not only with state licenses but a lot of other areas in which the protection of these victims could have been looked at. Why not invoke those things? Why did this judge choose this week to preempt the case before it even got close to going to trial? Why preempt a hearing, a a adjudication of the case in which the federal government must have looked at it and said that this law was passed and we will devote resources to bring these people to justice? Why does it take... This is the other side of judicial activism, right? Right? The right always complains about left judicial activists. Is this a libertarian judicial activist making a point about federalism? Maybe. That might be the right answer. Could there have been some wording that could have been better in this law? I don't know. Hopefully the Supreme Court will weigh in. But I do not want to see a day where our, and I've said this before, uh, to quote the inimitable Supreme Court justice from the early 20th century I think is black that said that the the, the 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 constitution should not be a suicide pact so whether it be free speech that calls for specific violence against individuals that even the KKK might have the right to criticize and 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 say things but imminent calls of violence have been prohibited as constitutional rights do we then say that the states are the only ones That can protect young girls from abuse, and especially when it involves crossing state lines, in which the federal government would have to be involved, unless you want states to coordinate crimes, which even becomes more difficult. So, in human trafficking, you have to involve the federal government, and there must be laws on the books to protect these girls. So, listen what's the message? Why isn't the news having a conversation about what this federal court said? This federal judge said. Why are we not discussing the limits and why we need federal protections for these girls? That's all we care about. Listen, I don't we can we can dance on the head of a pin about the role and the the place for the judicial federalism, if you will, and state rights, and and the Michigan law now has corrected itself, but these acts occurred before. These acts occurred before Michigan passed the law outlawing FGM. Now, even if you happen to pass, even if this Dr. Nagarwal ends up going to jail for obstruction of justice or whatever it may be, that does not then negate the message that the court will send that the federal government countenances female genital mutilation. That the federal government that somehow, oh, no, but tell them it's just not their jurisdiction. No, that doesn't work. My personal belief is that when I argue against Islamism, the U.S. Constitution is my tool to protect my family and others from the horrors of Sharia. Various forms of sharia that now many Muslims will say, oh, that's not sharia, FGM is is extra sharia. Well, there are imams that think otherwise. So whose sharia are you talking about? You are deaf, dumb, and ignorant if you believe that there is no sharia in the world that doesn't endorse and enforce FGM. Now, we need to reinterpret these things, etc., but I... I am blessed as we started at the beginning of the program. I am blessed to live in a country. I am blessed to live in a country that provides me a constitution that trumps any Sharia interpretation across the planet. And if that's going to remain true, we cannot allow judges to expect every state to have details of laws that then count for that versus the federal government. Because... Also, you'll find that the, that the federal government will say that in the name of religious freedom, it will prevent protections of states against Sharia. So which is it? Is the federal government protecting you know individuals for religious freedom? Yes, they do. Well, on the other side of that, if, if, the, if the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, is going to protect individuals like myself to practice my faith and prevent states from taking religious freedom away, The state, the federal government should be involved in preventing religious freedom or religious practices that are theocratic and evil and misogynistic from becoming part of the practice. That is done in the name of the First Amendment. You can't have it only one way. It needs to be effectuated both ways. And that's, I think, the ultimate message is figure it out. Have a national conversation. And please, for the love of God, do not allow These cases, this first case, it's been 12 years since the Senate passed the law, the federal law against FGM. And now we're finally having a case in which tons of resources have gone to bringing these doctors and their facilitators to justice. And we cannot allow this to go away without appropriate hearing in the public and academic realm and interfaith and in news media. Why aren't we hearing about it? Have you heard about it? The Detroit Free Press covered it, but this should be covered nationally. And I hope at the end of the day, the Supreme Court rules in a weighted argument that, yes, states have rights, but the U.S. Constitution trumps that and it, it protects and provides individual rights for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is Udi Jasmine Reform This, and we'll see you next week. Reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.